comes to mind straight away. What do you think of when I say the word Ribena? Well done, yeah. There's no right or wrong. I'm just keen to know what you might say when you first. What about if I say the word Queen? You're in the vein now. Here we go. What if I say the word church? Very good. Top of the class, I'm sure. Um, What do you think? What do people think of when they think of the word church? Um, We're probably biased here, aren't we? I'm probably preaching to the converted on this one. But I imagine in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, you might get all sorts of answers. Some might think about the building. In fact, I googled church to see what might pop up, and sure enough, row after row of images of buildings, uh, most of them quite old, some of them a little bit cold and drafty, I'm sure, but not all of them, but they were. They were, they were physical in, in, the, in the images. Some people might have a more neutral perception of church. They might think of, of something that's, well, irrelevant, um, not particularly important, have no particular impact, quite harmless. And then other people might have more negative associations with church. They may have been hurt by church. And we've had Kevin and Janet share something of of their journey on that. You may be able to resonate with that a little bit yourself. People might associate church with hypocrisy. That may be what they see when they look at the church. Well, I want to contrast that, firstly, with what Bill Hybels said in one of his books, and secondly, with what Paul said in the book of Ephesians, which is the letter in the New Testament we're going through together as a church over these weeks. Bill Hybels says about the church, he says this, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. I believe the church is the hope of the world. He goes on, he says, still to this day, the potential of the local church is is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on the earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. And Paul, who wrote Ephesians, we're going to open that in a minute, I think would say, amen, if he was here today, to that quote, preach it, brother Bill. Because he had a high view of the church. And we're going to read what he said about the church in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And forgive me, I I forgot to, or I didn't get right how to downcast the uploads this week. So I haven't got it on on the screen behind me um, because of my technical inabilities. I thought I'd done it, but it hadn't quite transferred to the right special place in the cloud or or the sky, or wherever it goes. Um, It's not there. We looked, (laughs) uh, despite thinking I'd done it. So you might have to do that old-fashioned thing of finding one of these, or looking over a shoulder, or closing your eyes and trying to meditate on these words. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Actually, it's interesting, this, this, the title for this section, in my Bible anyway, is Jew and Gentile Reconciled Through Christ. And the title is quite helpful, actually, as I read through it, to remember that Paul is talking about Jew and Gentile. So have that in mind. He doesn't always refer to them in that, with titles like that. He's implicit about who he's talking about, but they're the two groups of people he's talking about. It says this, Therefore, remember... That formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth 
and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, and these are the verses I'm going to focus on particularly today, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, we just ask you to help us as we wrestle with this passage. We want to understand what you're saying through it. We want to understand its relevance for us here today. And Lord, we want to live in the good of it. So help us, Holy Spirit. Would you use some of the thoughts I've had in advance to illuminate to us your truth? And Lord, would you prompt us each to, to act and believe and to press into the things that you've called us to and made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. I hope you got the sense, even if you didn't fully understand all those phrases, that Paul was passionate about the church. And I believe he wants us today to be equally enthralled. He wants us to be in awe of and to fall in love with the church. And to help us, he's given us three descriptions, three picture windows, if you like, to describe the church, to help us understand who we are together in Christ. And so just look again, if you will, and you'll have to because it won't come behind me, at verse 19. I'll read it out again to verse 22. The, the three pictures about the church are these. Firstly, you are fellow citizens with God's people, number one. Number two, and also members of his household. 
and skip on to verse 22 with a big lead up. He says, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling, number three, in which God lives by his spirit. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. Because so far, as we've gone through the Transform Life series in Ephesians, we've understood how God has transformed our lives the moment we come to Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, a massive transformation happens. Whether we're aware of it fully, have the language for it at the time or not. And we've already looked particularly at how that transformation gives us a new identity, an identity in Christ. We've looked at that. A new purpose in Christ. But today, we're looking at the sense of belonging that we get, the transformation of belonging that follows our faith in Jesus Christ. I won't shuffle my pages around. That will get us all confused. So the first picture then, we are fellow citizens with God's people. I'm probably not alone in saying there are times in my life where I've really tried hard to fit in. I felt like an outsider and I just wanted to be part of the crowd, probably indicating something of my insecurity in life at times. So I remember um, at school wanting to fit in and I grew up in Chatham in North Kent, not too many miles from here, but I wasn't born in Kent. I'm a Mancunian. Can you believe it? <laughs> My accent wouldn't let you tell you that, would it? Because when I went to uh, North Kent, age six, any remnants of the Mancunian accent, I drove out of myself. I, you know, I wanted to fit in. And that was a very northern accent. I didn't have much of a strong one because my parents weren't from Manchester themselves. Um, and I tried to fit in. So I've got now, it's fixed, by the way, from between the age of 6 and 12, you've, that's it. That's your accent. You know, you can't move. So I'm now, I've now got the North Kent Thames Estuary thing. Yeah, sorry about that, but that's where I'm from. Um, I remember this debate that was going on amongst my peers for some reason. Were you a man of Kent or a Kentish man? I don't know if you've come across that. It's, it's, you've heard of the north-south divide in the country. Well, in Kent, there's an east-west divide. If you live one side, and I can't remember which way it is, of the River Medway that comes out of, well, comes into the sea at Chatham, then you're a Kentish man if you're a bloke, and uh, otherwise you're a man of Kent. Well, I wasn't either. And I didn't know my geography well enough to know which side of the River Medway Manchester was. So I was kind of <laughs> left out of that conversation. Um, but to try and fit in a bit more, when I was asked, what, what football team do you support? And I didn't really have an answer. Because I, my family weren't really into football. I never really caught on to this thing. Um, but I, I knew I, I wanted a safe answer. So I said Liverpool. Because it was the 80s. And I know they're winning everything now, but there's a big gap when they weren't. But in the, in the 80s, they were. So to say Liverpool was safe ground, I felt. Not, a lot of people would nod approvingly to that. I'm sure many of my classmates supported Liverpool, even though that was millions of miles away. The local team was Gillingham. I don't know how many people supported Gillingham, but probably as many now as did then. Um, and I thought I could fit in. But age 17 or 18, somewhere around then, my mum took me and my sister back to Manchester, where we were born. And we went back to the church and the community and met some folk that they knew all those years ago when I was knee high. And um, now my accent really stuck out 
Uh, and I couldn't resurrect the loop for a boot kind of thing, or whatever they say. I don't know if that's quite right. Um, is that, that's almost Scottish, isn't it? <laughs> My wife is excellent at accents, so I should have got her to do this. So she's going to wet herself at every attempt uh, that I make. Sorry, she probably won't do that. Uh, but she will, she will laugh nonetheless. Oh, uh, dear. Um, but then when I asked in Manchester what team I supported, and I thought safe ground, Liverpool, apparently that was the wrong answer <laughs> when I got to Manchester. So I, I was still on the outside looking in. But as uh, uh, those of us who are in Christ who've come to faith in him, we, we must be aware. It's helpful for us to remember that before we came to Christ, we were outsiders. Far worse than my childhood experiences. We were outside of the things of God. Let's look at how Paul describes our position before we were in Christ in verse 12. He said this, remember that at that time, before you came to Christ, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and without God. In five ways, We were hopeless. We were out. We were excluded. We were far, far away. We were foreigners, strangers to the people of God. You see, in our Old Testament, the bit before Jesus, we read, don't we, of how God chose one man, Abraham, and the descendants that came from him through, of course, Isaac and Jacob to become God's people. The Jewish nation, as we know them, they were privileged. They were the special chosen people of God upon whom God rested his presence and his favor. And they were blessed upon blessed. And he kept doing things good for them. He kept protecting them from their enemies. He kept giving them victory over uh, in their battles. Kept pursuing them with blessing upon blessing despite their fickleness and their faithlessness at times. You see, to be part of God's people, you had to be born into it. You had to be born Jewish to Jewish parents. Therefore, for everybody else, as William Hendrickson puts it succinctly, in relation to God, we were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. That's grim. That's bad news. And if you're not in Christ here this morning, that describes you, says the Bible. You're not part of his people. You're just not. And there's seemingly no way in. Yet, verse 13, the very next verse, starts with two of my favorite words in the New Testament. But now. But now, it says in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far away, you know who he's talking about now, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, therefore, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Hallelujah. But now, you are fellow citizens with God's people. Praise God. Wonderful news. In fact, God had always had this as his plan. Not only was he going to bless the Jewish nation 
but he was going to use the Jewish nation to bless the world. That was his plan. And he's done it through a Jew named Jesus. Walked this earth 2,000 years ago. We know him as Christ, the Lord. And his blood that he shed for us. You see, when we come to Christ, everything changes. Absolutely everything. We're transformed. We were far away and now we're brought near to God. No longer treated as an outsider, but as if we'd been born into the family. Well, we use the language being born again. Because we have been. Because it's glorious. And we've got a new parentage now. We're in. Because of that act of faith. And, and Paul here is, is helping us to see, yeah, we're fellow citizens. We've got the passport. We're in. We're part of God's people. I, I still think, I don't know about you, but it can be quite hard to grasp this concept. Particularly if, like me, I've only ever lived in one nation. I've, I've never transferred my citizenship to another country. Maybe some of you have had, have had that experience and you know what, a little bit more, maybe. got an insight into what this is about. So I try to imagine, what if I created a country? Can you do that? I don't think you can. But imagine you could. Uh, I don't know about you. I'd pick all the best bits from around the world. So in terms of food, I think on balance, I'd go for India. Yeah, you with me? I think in terms of, of, of mood, I'd go for something Caribbean. Yeah. I think in terms of weather, maybe Australia, although apparently it's so, so hot there at the time, it's probably, probably dialed it up a bit too much. In terms of, of, of military power, maybe I'll go for the USA, I think, on balance. Bit of, bit of muscle there, very protective. In terms of, um, of leader, well... Barack Obama, he seemed good, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> he seemed eloquent anyway. I'd go for someone as eloquent as him, but maybe with the political skill of a, of a, of a Ban Ki-moon or one of those United Nations general secretaries. And I'd feel good about this country. I feel good about it already. I think, I think I'd call it Maitononia, because that's my name. Uh, and you'd be very welcome. You'd need a visa. Uh, but you could come and stay for a little while and enjoy this wonderful place. Well, well we don't have that privilege, do we? We, we can't choose, in that sense, our, our nationality. But the good news is, God has created a new nation, a new people, a new kingdom that didn't exist before, and now it does. It's like, like, like he created the universe in Genesis chapter 1. He's now created a new community, a new tribe, a new people. And, and those of us in Christ, we no longer ever need to feel rejected. Hallelujah. Never need to feel an outsider anymore. We've got the best leader going, God. He's our father. We've been celebrating him already. He's more eloquent than Barack Obama, more politically skillful than Ban Ki-moon. We've got, we've got his supernatural protection, better than all the military hardware of all the nations of the world. He's got food, cuisine that satisfies the longings of our heart, the deepest needs of our soul. It's better than a curry. Um, he's, he's got, he's got he's, and, and the heritage of his people is, is as rich as any. The, the future is more glorious than any nation on earth. In fact, his kingdom is going to last forever. You can't say that of any of the empires of, the, of old. 
or even any current empires. And we're part of it. We're citizens of God's country. That's number one. Secondly, we are members of God's family, his household. I love church. I love being part of a church like this. Because we're different from each other, aren't we? We just have to kind of look around a little bit and just be reminded of how varied we are. Or get a life group and think, when would we ever get together like this? <laughs> we're so different. Different nationalities, different backgrounds, different ages and stages and all the rest of it in between. And it's glorious. I love it. And it shouldn't really work, should it? I mean, all the social problems of our day, we should be experiencing something of, probably. Sexism should be here. Ageism, that should be here. Racism, we should experience some of that amongst us. North-South divideism, if it is such a thing, and all the other isms, but, but, but we don't really. Not to that extent. It's different. It does work. How does it work? Why does it work? It's not always easy, but you see, when we're placed in Christ, not only is our standing with God transformed, but so are our relationships with others. They're also transformed. I just want to unpack um, a few verses for you to help you see how God did this, because I think it's genius and profound and wonderful. And they're verses 14 to 16 in the passage that we read earlier. Don't worry if you haven't got it in front of you. I'll read it out again. But I just think it's worth digging into these because it just blow me away. It, say, it says this, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. Talking about our relational, horizontal life. Peace. Who has made the two groups, again I told you, Jew and Gentile. He's, he's, he's using two categories of, of people as God sees them. Those in his people, those outside his people. The Gentiles were all the non-Jews. The most kind of fundamental, if you like, division on planet Earth in God's eyes. He has made the two groups one. Wow. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Has he done that? By setting aside in his flesh, in his body, in his personhood, in Jesus, the law with its commands and regulations. You see, the two groups, the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles, they were separated. They were divided by what? The law. Those who had it, those who didn't. And Jesus has set aside the law. Let's do that. How can legally he get away with that, if you like? He hasn't got away with it. He's set it aside. In two ways. Firstly, he perfectly obeyed every command and regulation of the law. Perfectly. Like no one has ever done or could do. And secondly, he's received the curse of breaking every one of those commands and regulations in the law. He became sin for us. It goes on, I think around verse 15. His purpose, why did he do this? Was to create, that's that word, create like in creation, in himself, one new humanity. One new, brand new community. Think about the church. Out of the two, out of Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace horizontally between us. And in one body, that's his body, Jesus, but also our body, the two brought together, the one, to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God, through the cross. Because both Jew and Gentile needed to be reconciled to God. And he's done that. 
by setting aside the law. Hopefully that's helped you. I just got excited about those verses, trying to understand them, kind of really dig into them, and it's good to do that. And he's put to death their hostility. Wonderful. That's how we can be part of God's family. It doesn't just happen. Jesus has dealt with it fundamentally, completely. We are no longer, therefore, under law. He set it aside. We're under grace. Under grace to be included in the family of God. And now, not only do we have a restored relationship with, with God, our Father, but we, we can un- know the, br- the ending of hostility between us, between different types of people, whatever type of people they may be. It's, it's wonderful. The world needs this. The world are look- is looking for this. Tolerance is getting them a little way towards it, but it's not going to be enough. Even if you could make us completely tolerant, it's, it's not enough. Only Christ can do this. And we're in. The world needs what we've got. What we've got going here in our church life, in any church life. And I know it's not perfect. And I say to this to people um, in joining the church evenings, it's only really a matter of time before you'll get hurt by one of us. And it may be me, I say. Because we, we're not perfect, are we? Because you and I are in this thing called church and we're still being made perfect. But that's okay. But there will be times when somebody annoys you and they're in your life group. You've got to see them every two weeks. <laughs> There's going to be a time when somebody misunderstands you, gets under your skin. There's going to be times when somebody hurts you, disappoints you, offends you. What are we going to do? I think we have a choice in those moments. We can either put up those walls of hostility again. I feel rejected. I'm going to turn away. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to isolate. I'm, hatred is bitterness, those kind of things. Or we can believe, no, hold on, we're part of the family of God. We're members of the same family. We can sort this out. It's important that we sort this out. And I'll bless you, Kevin and Janet, something of your illustration for us this morning, your humility, your, your willingness to walk the walk of forgiveness when these things happen is exemplary for us this morning. Because we're family. It's, it's the family of God. It, it, it's not just any old family. It's the family of God. But that, should, that gives us hope because that means... That means we have an ability to deal with these things because God gives us the ability to forgive and to prefer and to look over. And, and, and we can do that in him. But also we know it's his name we're honoring because we as a family carry the name of God. We're his, his representatives on earth. And so it's important to honor him by Seeking forgiveness, being reconciled, believing the best of one another. And thirdly, we are part of God's temple. In a way, this third metaphor, I think, I think Paul crescendos to it. I think this is the, uh, the pinnacle, really, of his three word pictures for who we are as church. 
In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, we too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's verse 21 and 22. You see, all the way through the Old Testament, they were looking for and were instructed to build physical places where God could live amongst them as people. It's what stood the Jews out from all other nations of the world. God was there, living in their midst. And they were instructed, build, build a tent that's mobile while you're nomadic. And God came and dwelt in the tabernacle. Then he instructed Solomon, build, build the temple. Or David, and then Solomon had it built. Build the temple, the permanent structure where I can come and live amongst you. And that got destroyed and it got rebuilt. But now, since Christ... God isn't living in specific buildings. He's living in his gathered people. The church of the people. And he's living amongst us by his spirit. And yet I know each of us as believers, we know, don't we, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live inside of us. That's true. That's precious. But it's when we come together like this, like we're doing right now, that the presence and the power of God is magnified to another level altogether. When we're in life groups, God is there. When we're at a prayer meeting, as some of us were last week, God was there, helping us in our prayer. You know, we're more than just quite nice people. Well, you're very nice, but, you know, I'm quite nice. Uh, getting together because we've got a common interest. We're, we're more than that. Peter describes us believers as like living stones being built together into a house, into a place where God's presence can be most felt and realized. And when we come together, even if it's just two or three of us coming together in worship and prayer and pressing into God, God comes and presences himself. Anything is possible when we gather together. That's why healing can break out. Breakthroughs, miracles can occur. God can speak directly into people's hearts, leave them undone and leave them built up. People can know freedom and, and wellness and peace and guidance and provision as we come together and God's presence is manifest. You know, there's nothing like the church in the whole world. And you look around sometimes, don't you? And we've got some strange posters on the wall about mobility and coordination and stamina. We're in a, a dusty school hall with a funny floor and windows that are broken. Really? There's nothing like that? No, no, you're looking in the wrong place. I remind myself. Well, God's people, the temple of God. This is where God is. I think if we could, gra- if we could grasp this so fully, our priorities would shift. Our, our, our sense of, of, of desire to be together as soon as possible. Get there at the beginning of our time because God is in the house. We won't need the, the songs to warm us up. The songs will help express this, this faith that God's with us and, and we'll come with anticipation. We'd want our neighbors to come to, to be part of this. Why? Because that's where God can be found. God can open their hearts. You know, how do we know that God's here right now? Because I say so. 
Someone states it, well, yeah, by faith, yeah, God hears us. Because we feel his presence. Yeah, yeah, we do, some of us. We feel him, we sense he's here. But we know God's here when spiritual gifts are used. That's when we know he's here. Someone has a word of faith. Someone believes they have to pray for healing. And healing breaks out. Someone has a word of knowledge or insight or, or teaching, as we've already had, I think, from Julia this morning. Oh, yes, God's here. And he wants to do so much more. And so as we bring our contributions, they're not just to jolly up the meeting. It's to bring the manifest presence of God to life amongst us. We may have a chance to do that if I quickly rattle through my conclusion in a minute. So here we are. Four things I want to leave with you. Keep going with the Transform Life devotional booklet. It's really helpful. I hope you're finding it helpful. Mine's in my bag, but if I had it here, I'll turn to page, um, I think, 182. Anyway, it's day 50, the last day. You can look ahead. I know some of you don't like doing this with novels and the like, to the last chapter. Chapter 50 is excellent. And there are some statements in there, one on our sense of belonging. It's just good to go over it again and again, day after day. Get these truths about our, our belonging, who we are together in Christ, into you. Let's come, when we come together, let's come with expectancy. God's in the house. God's going to do some stuff amongst us. Let's get connected. If you're not connected to us as a church already, then come and speak to us. We'd love to hook you in in different ways. Um, but if you've been around a while, don't, don't forget of all the ways you can connect into the, to the heart of the church. Come every week. Be part of a life group. Be very active in a life group. Come to prayer meetings. Offer hospitality to folk on your initiative. Serve in one of our teams. Get in touch with somebody midweek. And fourthly, can I encourage this church, let's pursue unity. Let's do all that we can to be united, to protect our unity, to enhance our unity. It's precious. That might mean for some of us, we need to forgive one another, maybe just before God, maybe even verbally to each other. We might need to, at times, take initiative to break the ice if there's been a tension with one another. We might want to be intentional about befriending someone who's very, very different from ourselves. But we're in the same family, the local family of God's church. I encourage you to do that. Because not only is our personal identity in Christ transformed when we come to Jesus by faith, but our corporate identity is equally transformed. We've got to understand both. We're great as a church, aren't we, in our identity in Christ, individually. But we must be strong also in our corporate identity. Because we're the church. We're fellow citizens with God's people. We are members of God's family, and we're parts of God's temple. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks, Lydia.